The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, Episode 54. Captain DeBridge, Spock here. Make himself. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing The Next Generation's The Naked Now. And joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Remember to like The Secrets of Star Trek on Facebook, where we're at facebook.com slash starquestmedia. And retweet the show on Twitter, where we're at SQPN. And please leave us comments and let us know what you think of the podcast and any of the episodes and the topics we discuss. We love to have your comments and feedback, and we love to share it in the show, uh, make it part of our conversation. So thank you very much. And your sharing of the show helps get it out to uh, more people and helps the audience grow. So we thank you very much for that. So this is uh, The Naked Now, which is a somewhat infamous uh, episode of The Next mm-hmm. Generation. It may be one of the least popular of all episodes. <laughs> and it's the first one after the pilot. Yes, which is a very unfortunate thing. And let's talk a bit about about the, some of this outside the the story discussion. This is based on a plot from the original series episode, "The Naked Time." And it, it and, really, it really is almost a remake of that episode. At least ninety yeah. percent of it is. Which is and, interesting, given Roddenberry's initial uh, with when he's coming up with the Next Generation was we're going to be very distinct from the original series. We're not going to retread that. And so then the this. second, so then the second episode is going right back to the original series. Yeah, yeah, and and they got a lot of criticism for that because right out of the gate, fans said, "Is this just going to remake original series episodes?" Mm-hmm. Right, and it actually took a pretty big hit about that. Um, the also, if you if you notice the script, uh, the writer is credited as J. Michael Bingham. And yes. you might want to go, "Who is J. Michael Bingham? Where have I not seen that name before?" And the answer is anywhere. Because it's a pseudonym. Uh, mm-hmm. The script was actually written by DC Fontana, who was one of the major writers and script editors from the original series. She was considered very good. Um, she she wrote a lot of great stuff. She, uh, for example, wrote the animated series episode that dealt with Spock's childhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, she also wrote, if I recall correctly, Journey to Babel that introduced Spock's parents. Uh, she was considered really a good writer and script editor uh, from the original series, and Gene Roddenberry brought her and David Gerald, who wrote The Trouble with Tribbles, on as writer-producers for The Next Generation, and they both quickly left because they, they couldn't deal with Gene Roddenberry anymore. And this <laughs> is an example of that. She later talked about how this was developed and why she took her name off it. Um, And she said, uh, quote, while the script was given a good reaction by almost everyone, the Roddenberry pattern of dealing with scripts befell it. 
After a staffer turned in the official second draft of a script, they were not allowed to touch it again. No matter how good a script appeared to be, it would be rewritten by Gene Roddenberry. If possible, scenes of sexual content would be inserted into the script. When two such scenes were put into The Naked Now, in addition to other scenes which I felt debased the female characters of the series, I put my sentiments into a frankly worded memo of comment on the script. My comments were ignored. And so Mm. then she had her name. She activated a clause in her contract as a writer that said she could take her name off of it which is why it's credited to J. Michael Bingham. Also, um, I I found in researching this episode a comment from Will Wheaton, um, Mm -hmm. who is prominent in this episode. And uh, he says, The Naked Now has some genuinely funny moments, but it was only the second time that audiences had seen us after, you know, Encounter at Farpoint. And this episode was not the best way to introduce the audience to a new show with a new cast, especially when we all knew we were standing on the shoulders of giants and yep. mm-hmm. really you, th- this would leave a sour taste in the mouth of fans of the original series, seeing these characters who you don't even know and don't yep. like yet. Um, and you're comparing them to the beloved characters and they're delivering just cringeworthy lines that are supposed to be funny, but aren't. I thought it was interesting that this episode like the first episode after the pilot of the original series, The Corbomite Maneuver, which we just reviewed, this is also a bottle episode. So mm-hmm. there's not a lot happening outside of the ship. It's all focused on the ship and the interaction of the characters on board it. And wow, this does not stand up to The Corbomite Maneuver. No. <laughs> well, well in, I, in preparation for this, I watched The Naked Time, which is the original series episode, which I'd never seen. Oh, really? Uh-huh. And, and it is so completely night and day. The, the, the original Naked Time episode is a very good episode, very well done. I didn't realize, I was telling uh, Dom before we recorded that I didn't realize that's where the Sulu doing the foil through the decks of the Enterprise <laughs> without a shirt on, that's where yeah. it came from, was that right. episode. You know, things like that. Although in that episode, we do have Lieutenant Bailey, who's drunk on, on space carbohydrates, uh, singing <laughs> Irish stuff through the intercom As he's system. Locked that's really yeah. pretty, and it's also the same plot point we have here where Wesley is taking yeah. control of engineering. Um, right. But that was pretty cringeworthy for me. That, just, was, that was fairly cringeworthy, but as, as a whole, The Naked Time was a much, much, <laughs> much better episode. In, in comparison. You know, that when she talks, when DC Fontana talks about uh, episodes, you know, stuff that debased the female characters, I mean, keep in mind, every time in, when, a, when there was a, someone coming on to someone else, it's a woman. Uh, it's a woman coming yep. onto a man. Like I mean, Gene Roddenberry's psychology is, is working itself out pretty pretty clearly here in this episode. Yeah, and this is not the only time. If you go back and you watch the um, the episodes of like Genesis, the pilots for Genesis Two and Planet Earth, these were mm-hmm. things that Gene Roddenberry made after Star Trek, um, and they were actually kind of going to be set in the Star Trek universe. They're just occurring at an earlier time when Earth has fallen into barbarity and they're rebuilding civilization that leads up to the Federation. Um, mm-hmm. But you watch those pilots and it's like, I do not need to know this much about Gene Roddenberry's fantasy life. because you have like men being sold into sexual slavery to women who are competing over them for the best slaves and stuff. And it's like, wow, this is too revealing. Hence the, uh, the plot of angel one, (laughs) which is still coming in our future. 
Yeah, I mean the 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 the, the idea of having characters acting out of character and being amused by that works really well when you know the characters first. We don't yeah. even know these people for yet, so them acting quote unquote out of character doesn't really work. It's, yeah, it's like this is a repulsive character. <laughs> exactly. It's like yeah, I've only just met you, and I'm now I know too much about you. That this sort of thing. So let's let's talk about what happens in this episode. They rendezvous. The Enterprise is rendezvousing with this science vessel, the the Sielkovsky, which is uh, the 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 ship model is the same science vessel, the Grissom that was in the search for yep. Spock, which it, they had just made. So they have this that same one, and they have this. It's, they, it's na- named after Russian rocket scientist Konstantin Tsiolkovsky. That's right, and uh, the, there is a plaque that they encounter where the. Uh, the name of the ship, you know, the ship dedication plaque uh, just off the bridge is in Cyrillic, which is a nice touch. Right. Although it does reference the fact that it was built in the Soviet Union, which by that oh. point in our timeline had not existed for several hundred years. <laughs> yeah, I, was gonna, I mean, it, it is interesting, though, because this this aired in 1987, you know, which was still I mean, it was the waning years of the Cold War, but things yep. were still, you know, kind of. We were two years away from the Berlin Wall falling. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it was a couple more years before that really that all settled out. So yep. it was kind of an interesting choice. Yeah. yeah. Star Trek always was trying to look forward to that time when, when we were no longer having a Cold War and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, but we all know that, you know, by this point in the future, it's really going to be the Russian Federation. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> With Putin still a, a disembodied head of Putin running. <laughs> <laughs> so they, Wait, that's they, Futurama. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they hail the Sielkowski and they hear a, a seductive woman's voice and then someone uh, blows out an escape hatch and uh, does everybody in. Oh, uh, and what a, what a stinker of a line Data gets when they, when they do that. Captain, what we have just heard is impossible. I believe yeah. the last sound we heard was an emergency hatch being blown. And it's like, I don't know if you know what the word impossible means. <laughs> Right. But this early data is is very is pedantic to an extreme uh, in, the, in yeah. these early episodes. Uh, later on, when when Riker says, "Yeah, they were sucked into space," and Data has to correct him to say that is a, a common misconception. It's it was that they were actually blown into space, not sucked. And and Riker's like, uh, "Okay, whatever. Like <laughs> they're dead." <laughs> yeah, I, I will. I will say, uh, Data is probably. Maybe the only character who was improved when he was under the influence of the illness. <laughs> mm. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Dana the, is actually funny. Yeah. The uh in, in incidentally, the the bit about being blown out rather than sucked out, actually that's that's something that we have a much better grasp on now forty years later than we did, or thirty whatever years later than we did as a culture when mm-hmm. compared to when this episode aired. I remember back then you would have people talking about being sucked out into space mm. and and it and you don't have that anymore. You do have much more of a sense no, it's the air pressure blowing people out into space in an explosive decompression. Um <clears throat> so I think this this line actually kind of started the education of sci-fi culture on this point. Um it's also famous the line is for uh data using a contraction here he says correction sir that's blown out and as they later make a point Mm. of data doesn't use contractions but this is a slip yeah yeah the first episode data says he doesn't he doesn't use but yet he throughout 
this first season, he uses contractions. They abandon that eventually just because poor Brent Spiner is, <laughs> cannot yeah. manage to get rid of all of the contractions. <laughs> also, I thought it was a mistake to ever point that out on screen. What I would have done as a writer is say, okay, we're going to write the scripts to where he never uses contractions, and it's just going to be a subliminal thing about the way he talks that we're never going to call attention let's to. Let's see, see if people actually catch it. Yeah. So uh, they so they've beamed over to the Sielkowski. So it's uh, Riker, Yar, Jordy, and Data. They've beamed over, and they're you know looking around. Uh, someone has turned the environmental controls way down in a certain part of the ship where it's everything's frozen. And Jordy finds a bunch of frozen naked people in uh, someone's quarters, and then the, o- someone... the only person wearing clothes is the one in the shower. Right, and they they fall. The he Jordy catches the body. As they fall, and we know he's infected because we get the infection sound effect, which we will hear throughout the episode. Yeah, <laughs> which, is a, which is a carryover from the original episode, by the way. They they did that same sound effect okay. in the original episode. It, it makes me think of itching. It's like, <laughs> yes. you know, because they look at their hands when you hear the sound effect where they've just touched the site of the infection. And you hear this sound effect and it makes me feel like their hand must be itching. And, you know, there's all these like weird awkward touches now from the rest of the episode where people are touching p- others in awkward ways that no one ever touches anyone. I, yeah. <laughs> I needed to get your attention, so I'm going to brush my hand against my co-worker's cheek. No, no, we don't do that. It's yeah. not a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody does that. They can't even use doorknobs because the doors open automatically. Exactly. So what, what, they, what they could do is like have someone put their hand on a table and then someone else puts their hand on that same spot and you hear the noise. But they don't do that but, way. They have awkward touching instead. Yeah, because apparently it can only be passed skin to skin. That's the only way that it's getting transmitted, not uh, not from secondary sur- surfaces, I, I gather. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that, I don't think that makes any sense, but it doesn't. But that's I think that's how they do it. Well, they do uh, explain it that it, it's passed by perspiration. Per, right, right. Um, so Jordy's taken back to to sick, but you know that because of this, they put uh, extra precautions in effect. They transporter biofilter mm-hmm. maximum decontamination. Which why wouldn't you do that every time? But okay, never yeah. mind. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, Jordy start act, starts acting weird in sickbay. He's perspiring and he kind of snaps at people and tells uh, bad jokes. Tells bad jokes, right? Uh, and then Riker uh, pulls <laughs> this. I love this one. Data aside says, I remember reading somewhere something about someone taking a shower in their clothing. Can you, can you Google that for me? Yeah. <laughs> which, which actually, this <laughs> yeah, would be a but- really great. This might be where the Riker Google stuff uh, Twitter account yeah. comes from. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but, well, but it's like, of course, the funny part is, you know, we, we, we think of, you know, you look something up on Google and it's there, you know. I know. T- this two is going to take later. four hours, sir. It's like, Data, you can't just Google showering in clothing and see what comes up. But in the, in the whole history of not just humanity, but of all the civilizations they've encountered, the idea of, like, someone taking a shower in their clothes. I mean, I've seen lots of movies where people, you know, have to shower in their clothes because they've they're contaminated or... Oh, they were passed yeah. out, and we need to wake them up, and all kinds of other things. Like, it's just the idea of of such a vague notion that he throws at him. Like, are you kidding me? Anyway, <laughs> so he asked Data to Google it. Um, uh, the the other thing I get I makes me wonder is why isn't Jordy in isolation? And yeah. they're approaching him in you know isolation hazard suits. If he's if if we're thinking there's a possible source of contagion, right? What's 
And is Dr. Crusher the only person on the medical staff? Because like, cause she leaves him alone for a minute and he gets up, takes off his comm badge and walks out and starts wandering the ship, infecting everyone. Um, it, it must have been, you know, it must be light duty day or something. <laughs> right. But yeah. I think in all of this, I, I don't think we see more than like maybe like one nurse at some point for all this 1000 people on board. So this is early again. They're still trying to figure out how things work here. They do have really lax containment protocols, though. I, I had multiple notes on that. Um, everyone is acting like this disease must be bloodborne or something that there's right. you're not going to get it by contact. It's not born by air. Um, they kind of sort of try to explain the reason they're all being so lax about it. Um, Crusher, because of all the maximum decontamination and the very superficial scans that actually should show an alcohol-like molecule is affecting Jordy's brain, <laughs> yeah. Um, they, she says that everything's come up negative, and so she thinks there's no chance of a disease, and they have to look at other explanations like insanity or emotional upset. Emotional he's, upset. Yeah. He's yeah. emotionally but, upset, and now he is obsessed with seeing like an ordinary human being. Mm, that must be it. So, Jordy. That, was, that uh, was just so they could throw Troy into the episode. Right. Uh, at least we didn't have lots of her I'm feeling things. I mean, we had a few instances. Yeah. He feels drunk, yep. but uh, but we'll, we, that's coming up. Uh, Jordy wanders around, infects Wesley, who's playing with his new tractor beam, and. This amazing device that allows him to simulate Picard's voice. Wow, yeah. the twenty fourth century is amazing. That were were just recordings of yeah. his voice. It was not a not a speech like, synthesizer. This is just re edited loops of what he said over the intercom. Wow, heck, isn't that amazing? Heck, we're synthesizing people's voices now in the twenty first century. So uh, meanwhile, so Tasha finally tracks down Jordy. He's hanging out in the, in the briefing room, uh, wondering about what being able to see. And instead of taking him to her sick bay, like she's been ordered to do, she humors his fevered ramblings. I'm here, Jordy. All right, Jordy, I'm here for you. No, he's sick. Take him to sick yeah. bay. Helping you is more important. And no, helping him is taking him to sick bay. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Right. Uh, so the, meanwhile, Data manages to Google up that the uh, Enterprise of uh, Kirk's era uh, had the this encounter with the same poly juice small similar, or only, only after Riker goes oh yeah that's right as we were studying like previous starships named Enterprise that's what it was right yeah. so apparently the varying gravity of a collapsing planet or star acts on water molecules to make them act in the brain like alcohol okay it, <laughs> yeah, well, they, they, they did explain that well it strips carbon from the body right which of course alcohol is carbon hydrogen and oxygen so yeah. mm -hmm. that would kind of sort of possibly Makes sense, I guess. Yeah. There's yeah. weird. If I, I want to know if it's the gravity fluctuations from the star or in the, the planet in the previous episode or the star in this case that's doing it. Why do you need it transmitted person to person? Why isn't it just happening to people? Right. It's like, why do you need a patient zero to get this? It should well, be happening in lots of people all at well, once. Why is it just these two situations? Where? What about in other high-gravity situations? I mean, this should be more common than it is. Well, the other thing that gets me is, how can Picard be so sure at this point that this is the same thing? Oh, we've discovered it. This is it. We've just found a cure, doctor. Uh, synthesize this and cure everybody. Like, why is he so sure that this is the same thing? I, I just It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, 
So uh, Troy finds Tasha in her quarters trying on her clothes. Playing dress up with someone else's clothes. And then she starts prowling the the halls all seductive-like. And Yeah. And then... By the way, notice (laughs) notice when, when, when Tasha says, or when Troy says to Tasha, this one isn't for you, she's like, oh, well the ship's stores will have what I want. And it's like, yes, thank you, stores on the ship, which were also referred to back in the original series, just like the charge it to my account in Encounter at Farpoint. We do have well some kind of commercial activity happening. In a, in a nautical sense, ship's stores well, is just could mean ship's storage. storage. Yeah. storage yeah. Yeah. But even in that case, they have replicators. Like, like they would yeah. just replicate a, the you know, clothing. That's, that's, that's one thing... It, the Orville does such a good job of they need something, they go to a replicator room where it's produced. Actually, that happens in, in It does in eventually Star show Trek up too. on Star yeah. Trek, on uh, right. Next Generation, yes. Yeah. But not at this point yet. Not at this point. But so, but in, in this, this is like personal items that you, like, and Uhura in the original series is talking about perfume in the ship right. store. Yep. So these are like luxury items that are there that I assume aren't just distributed. Yes, that's right. Uh, one thing that's interesting in this first season is that there is no one chief engineer. In fact, it's this rotating yeah. cast of chief engineers we get until Jordy mm-hmm. is made chief engineer in the second season. Jordy is a is the is the helm officer in this yeah. first season. In this season, there are four chief engineers. Uh, Sarah McDougal is the one we meet in this episode. The other three are Argyle, Logan, and Lynch. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you could detect a theme going in some of those, right? Argyle, McDougal. Oh, yeah. we miss Scotty, so. And yeah. uh, uh, apparently, by the way, there's a chief engineer and an assistant chief engineer, and that's it. That's the entire, just like medical has one doctor, we have two yep. engineering staff, uh, because Wesley lures the chief engineer, deceives her into going to the bridge to report to Picard, and then deceives the chief, the assistant chief engineer to go to medical, and they have to leave him in charge, the kid, of the engines. Like, What? Of everything, yeah. Despite yeah. the the all the extras milling around outside the engineering uh, control office, whatever that is, uh, oh, just and then Wesley <laughs> sick, takes over the ship because you know Wesley, as you do, as you do, and uh, the training class. Uh, one of the crazy things happening is that the training department has ordered up classes on metaphysics, which actually I think is not crazy. I think that's mm-hmm. a great idea. I think they should all be taking classes on metaphysics. By the way, I have a, a note at about this point in the episode that where the episode really starts to get bad is at about the 18 to 20 minute mark. This is this is kind of in a way it's kind of like Love and Monsters from Doctor mm-hmm. Who where it becomes bad at a certain point but before that it's actually not that bad. Yeah. And and I I think it's about the 18 to 20 minute mark where this episode just falls off a cliff in terms of badness. We know exactly it, which scene that is, right? This is this well, is the this is the infamous the, it falls off the cliff at the infamous Data Tasha scene. I mean, let's I be think, honest. I think oh no, I, I that's think more it's, like when it's banging on the cliff on the way down. <laughs> that's no, the this, bottom this, of the cliff. I think it's I think it's when Wesley took over engineering. Yeah, yeah. the okay. scene we're talking about right now is when that car was going along nice and smooth, <laughs> and all of a sudden it hit the end of the road. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and there were even bumps before that. Like once they figure out it's an alcohol-like molecule is affecting people's brains, um, Picard makes a, a reference to someone having a snootful, and Data gets inquiry, sir. Snootful. <laughs> yeah. Information. 
<laughs> Come on, guy. You're you're walking Wikipedia. You, you this is just bad writing, right? Exactly. To, show, to show us you're a robot, right? Exactly. Yeah, Data has like such weird gaps in his knowledge. It's, again, in this and early, I, I, and I think that was. I mean, I think that was an intentional idea that you know he's this super incredible android, but he didn't. He hasn't learned the intricacies of being human. But it just comes across so bad. Yeah. And right. he hasn't learned this stuff in the 25 years he's been in Starfleet. Right. Exactly. So do we need to talk about this scene between Data and Tasha? Can we? Can we no. Just yeah, we do. Put a, okay. Because um, so, <laughs> it's just so uncomfortable. It's so no. obvious. Uh, like the, 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 the sexual references are just so. Yeah. So. Ugh. So Data comes to Tasha's room and she is all dressed seductive, what is apparently meant to be seductively, but she's got this brill cream in her hair that makes it look really icky. It, and, it ruins the whole thing. It does. <laughs> yeah. And and she's taught she is as she's seducing Data, she's talking about rape gangs on her home world. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. This is just really uncomfortable. Yeah, and and then and then and, and she says. Oh, by, you, by the way, we we haven't mentioned yet, but we it's also become apparent that Data can fall to this as well because yeah. of his biology, his biology, quote unquote, how his systems are built, that Which this is compound nuts. can affect his positronic brain. Yeah, and that's totally nuts. Um, they they bring this out in a big way in a scene we're coming up on, but. But Tasha is trying to seduce Data, and she's like, you are fully functional, aren't you? Mm. And then he says, multiple techniques, a broad variety of pleasuring. And it's like, Gah! I just, this is awful. This it's is just, just awful. awful. The second <laughs> episode of the series. Let me just throw that out there again. This is the second episode of the series, and they're doing this. By, by the way, is there any wonder why most people, when they say, if you're going to start watching Star Trek Next Generation, start with season three? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Or at least season two, but don't start with these episodes. Uh, yeah, so they go off. Um, and the fact, the interesting thing is, is this encounter between Data and Tasha has resonance throughout the entire series. I mean, they, yes. I mean, they actually make you know they 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 make something out of this where Data has an emotional connection to Tasha for the rest of his his time as a character in Star Trek, which is interesting. Uh, so it's it's you're making something out of this awful scene. Yeah. <laughs> so then Deanna shows up in engineering because uh, she's infected and calls Will Riker Bill for some reason. Uh, he's never called Bill ever again by mm -hmm. anyone. This is the, the time, and she's you know all whatever with him because she's, she's trying trying to seduce him and talking about wanting. She's she has now gotten turned on by the fact she's feeling everybody else's stuff right and yeah. it's affecting her now which is a common trope with her where she's kind of the victim of the emotions around her in these early episodes yeah. and so since other people are getting aroused now she's getting aroused and she wants to seduce Riker, and she's talking to him again it's so creepy talking about don't you want to be alone with me and have me in your mind and stuff and it's like yeah <laughs> and then he so he carries her to sick bay which means he gets infected and he touches crusher with that weird like i'm I'm getting your attention by touching your neck thing which i'm not <laughs> sure why yeah <laughs> and then crusher goes you touch her oh god you touched me <laughs> and she's 
yeah, I, I would I would react the same way if Will Riker touched me too. Oh, you touched me. <laughs> so she's infected. Uh, Picard, meanwhile, is trying to reason with Wesley, who's calling himself acting captain Wesley Crusher because he's taking control and turned his. Oh, he's so smart. He's turned his tractor beam into a repulsor beam because Starfleet has never had a repulsor beam before. Like, what? Why is this somehow? Yeah, or force field or something. I mean, yeah, like yeah. did Starfleet not have repulsor beams or deflector beams before? So what Wesley has essentially done is he's used his tractor now repulsor beam to as a force field to keep people out of engineering. And it's just him and the assistant engineer in there who's come back and is now space drunk and yeah. is ripping the isolinear chips out of the warp drive. Yep. And just That's right. playing with Apparently, them. Wesley's reversed the polarity of the neutron flow. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, and so so Picard is trying to reason with Wesley. And then uh, we have Crusher come to Picard to his ready room, and she's trying to maintain control, but is you know, now attracted to Picard and he's yeah. apparently been infected somewhere along the line. So he's losing control too. Yeah. But we never see how he gets infected unless it's when she touches him and he's under the influence really fast. Well, as the episode goes on, the reactions start much, much quicker. Except hmm. for Riker, who apparently resists yeah. falling under towards, its influence for a long towards time. Towards the end, he starts showing it, but yeah, it's not, but there's some of them where it's like instant. Yeah, I have in my notes, Riker, more immune than others, must be able to hold his liquor. So apparently <laughs> yeah. he's been practicing for this. That's what it is. Riker exactly. is a big drinker. That's what it is. I, actually, I can believe that. That's good writing. I, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I agree with that 100%. So, of, of course, the plot isn't just that they're drunk and need to be saved from their drunken, their space drunkenness. The uh, star's going to blow. The star's going to blow, and they need to, to get out of there in a split second when it does. And, of course, Wesley has caused the ship's engines to be turned off. And so the star ejects its corona, but the engines are offline and drunk data has to be sent down to engineering to replace the control chips instead of in hours that a normal person would take. It will take him 14 minutes, which still is not enough time. So. I, I do like the line where he's he's sitting on the floor and he's putting the chips back in quickly. And um, and Riker says, you're going to make it in time, right? And he says, no, this task will require slightly more time than we have. <laughs> but he keeps going. <laughs> Is he still doing it? Yeah. Yeah. And of the, course, uh, by go the way, ahead. I got at, at this juncture. I got to tell a story on myself because early on in my apologetics career, I got a lot of I, I don't know why, but I got a lot of robot comparisons. Um, people would refer to me as famous or as Robo Catholic or as robots of some kind. Uh, I got a reference to the Terminator once, and also to Data and. I was once at the old Catholic Answers office, and I was organizing the library, and I was sitting on the floor, and I was filing books <laughs> <laughs> like these isolinear chips, and and uh, one of my coworkers came up to me and made, I forget what he said, but he made some kind of wisecrack about what I was doing, and I said, actually, is the fact I was sitting on the floor, and I said, actually, this is essential to the task I'm performing right now, and he said, Jimmy, that is so data. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why they call you Robo Robo Kappa. So, as as will become uh, very clear in the seasons that we will have Wesley Crusher, Wesley saves the day because Starfleet is Starfleet trained crew members are not enough if if you don't have a Wesley Crusher to use his invention to save them. 
And again, and, and of course, I'll, you I'll know, the, the engineers think they have to completely rewire the ship. And he's like, oh, no, I'll hit these five buttons on the console and drag over here. He's dragging and dropping things and solve. Can't you, yeah. Can't you rewire that in your head instead of having to come up with a, a diagram? But but again, does Starfleet not have deflector that, beams? Well, so they should have had all this pre-programmed in. But I actually kind of like the line about why not just see it in your head? Because people do have differences in terms of how they conceptualize things. Yeah. yeah. I've noticed this. In fact, it's recently come to my attention. I was at a I was at a meeting of fellow dance callers and one of the callers had been talking about how her visual spatial abilities are not what she mm-hmm. would want. And I said, "Well, clearly you're a great dancer. I mean, don't you just I'm sure you're visualizing where you need to be on the floor." And she said she wasn't. And mm-hmm. I realize I see choreography in my head in right. a way that other callers don't necessarily see. And so that line with Wesley kind of resonated for me a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah. I mean, we, I've, we, other people who have been, who are so much like prodigies of some sort often are, they, they don't realize that other people can't see and do the things that they can do because they don't see the world in the same way. So yeah, that's, it, that's not a bad line and, there. And, and paradoxically, there are people, I was reading an article recently about some of the guys at Pixar, which is a very mm-hmm. visual medium. And they act, this one guy in particular, I think it's more than one there, actually has the inability it's a, it, to visualize things. And he had mm. like been on a meditation retreat or something and was being told for days to visualize stuff. And he finally realized, I can't. And despite yeah. that fact, he's like working in a, an industry that requires the externalization of visions that he can't produce right. internally. So he produces them externally instead. Yeah, I read mm. that same article. I think it was yeah, fascinating. Interesting. <clears throat> so, uh, so Wesley has to invent deflector beam in order to save the ship. Um, they dest- end up destroying the multi-billion credit whatever uh, starship in order to yeah. save the Enterprise, yeah, which is fine. It's an old ship. Save- it, dates, yeah. it dates back to the time of you know Kirk Wrath and all that. Khan. So it, it's 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 yeah. been it's been uh, used and abused. It's, it's not needed anymore. It's had a good run. Uh, is it? Is it make sense that a big chunk of the sun's corona is a rock? Yeah, I had that in my notes too. Uh, yeah, sun's sun, the surface of a star, which is what we've been told is being blown off, is not like the surface of a planet. It's not made out of rocks. <laughs> yep. Okay. It would be a wave. It would. You know, it'd be like yeah. a like a shock plasma. wave is what yeah. it would be. Yeah, plasma be like wave. A, yeah, a plasma wave or something. Yeah. I, I thought I'd check. I just I want to make sure I wasn't off base on that one. Uh, then after the resolution of everything, they're saved. Everybody's feeling better now. Everybody's suitably embarrassed by their behavior. Back on the bridge, uh, Yar turns to Data and just kind of says, it never happened. And poor Data like, seems bemused and sort of hurt, even. It seems mm-hmm. a bit cold on her part. I mean, especially since it's her fault. She, I mean, it's kind of her fault. Not te- she's, she wasn't in control of her faculties, but still um, seemed a little cold uh, for her. And then... Uh, Picard has the final line. He says, uh, I think we shall end up with a fine crew if we avoid temptation. And I'm like, what does that even mean? I don't even understand yeah. this line. It's, <laughs> it's going like, to be the love boat in space. That's what he was trying for. <laughs> well, hmm. like avoid temptation. Like the, well, you're under just, the influence. I, well, I don't what, what, yeah. Kind of irritated me. It's like, okay, so apparently the only response you have when you get intoxicated on alcohol is sexual. Right. Right, because that's apparently there was where most nothing else. 
we're really lucky nobody on the Enterprise was an angry drunk. <laughs> yeah, yes. where's well, that? Well, right. and you go back, you go back again to the TOS episode. You've got Sulu kind of is an angry drunk because he wants to be an 18th century sword uh, swashbuckler with the sword, swashbuckling yeah. pirate. You got that O'Reilly who takes over. He's he's the the, he, he's the an Wesley Irish Crusher <laughs> of that episode. Takes over the ship and starts singing. He's a, he's par- the happy yeah. singing Irishman. There are no Italians or Germans on board, apparently. <laughs> you know, so it, it's it's just like okay, they they didn't have the whole gamut of people. You, you didn't have the person who was just kind of that happy drunk who just sits there, right? Or the or the mean drunk who wants to start a fight with everybody. Yeah, uh, yep. They missed so much. They could have had so much fun with that episode, and instead you had Gene Roddenberry and his fantasies. Apparently, yeah. yeah. I didn't mind. So I, we didn't mention, but I, I really of, of all of the the people's reactions, and we kind of mentioned a little bit was Data's rea- like the way Data was acting on the bridge with, uh, with Picard and Worf. Apparently, yeah. Worf was immune. By the way, um, someone was. Well, yeah. he, uh, speaking of can handle your 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 alcohol, your, he's like your blood wine. You know, they drink yeah. blood wine for breakfast, yeah. lunch, and dinner. So, yeah. But Data's Data's uh, slapstick was was amusing. I have to say, I, I that did was it. that was pretty good. You, you know, Brett Spiner had had to enjoy that part at least. Yeah, I like the Shakespeare reference in there um, because what he says now, Picard says to him, "Data intoxication is a human condition. Your brain is different." And I'm going, and how it's got blinking lights in it. It's made out of metal. Yeah. We see it in later episodes, <laughs> and it's there's no way alcohol is going to affect this thing, except maybe to clean it. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, the idea of Data going under the influence of this is just ridiculous. But they haven't established at this point just how different Data is. So it's, you know, kind of a piece of its time. But then Data replies by saying, we are more alike than unlike, my dear Captain. I have pores. Humans have pores. I have fingerprints. Humans have fingerprints. My chemical nutrients are like your blood. If you prick me, do I not leak? And, of (laughs) course, that's a reference, like a lot of Star Trek has Shakespearean references, that's a reference to the Merchant of Venice, where Shylock, Mm. uh, a Jewish moneylender, has the line about Jewish people, prick us, do we not bleed? He's making the point about the fundamental humanity of Jewish people along with everybody else. Mm-hmm. And but because data is a robot, it pricked me. Do I not leak? Yeah. yeah. Just before that was when the captain said, "Ah, good data. At least you're functioning." And data says, yeah. "Fully, captain." Yeah. I have to admit I, that didn't make Ugh. me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> that my twelve year old kind of kind of uh, emerged for yeah, a, a moment exactly. and laughed at that. <laughs> but it's kind of the smug way he said it, which was which was the amusing bit. right. Uh, so again, uh, kudos to Brent Spider. Uh, any other notes on this episode? Can we leave this one behind and move on to the rest of Star Trek? Do you have any? I have a few. Nope. Okay. Um, so this early is this is early in Wesley's character arc. He's not allowed to go on the bridge yet, which is you know something we're unfortunately going to have to revisit in future episodes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Worf has a good line where he says, "I don't understand their humor either." <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. actually, which is a good line, but also doesn't fit with him growing up in Russia. He should right. be very familiar with human humor. Um, well, Jordy, Russian Jordy, humor. Russian humor, at least. Um, <laughs> There's that. <laughs> Jordy, at one point, he's moaning about his vision, and it's like, it's not fair, Doc. I've never seen a rainbow, and I just can't help wanting to sing the Reading Rainbow theme there. 
Um, I don't know if he was doing Reading Rainbow at this time, but in hindsight, it's inescapable when you encounter that line. Right. Um, Riker, early on, when he's down in engineering, is very dramatic and says, you know, if he if he doesn't get the situation dealt with, we're all going to be dead, implying that he's realized the star is going to collapse. But Picard does not act like the star is about to collapse when he's talking to Wesley. Wesley straight up says, ooh, you want something done? Just tell me and I'll do it. How about, okay, Wes, move us a light year away from this star. (laughs) (laughs) That would have taken care of things right there. Also, as soon as Crusher is like, you touched her. Oh, now you've touched me. Okay, let's get on the intercom and tell people not to touch each other. And, And that'll limit the spread of this thing. Everybody go um, to your quarters if you're not on, you know, in, in an emergency area doing emergency data. Everybody get out of the corridors and don't exactly. encounter yeah. anyone. Yes. And, and then we've, and there's just tons of bad writing in this. Like when, when Crusher, and some of this is okay, when Crusher goes up to the captain to talk to him in the ready room, um, <sighs> and the two of them are alone, she's mentally disoriented, and she's saying, like, right now I just want to, of course, we don't have time for that sort of thing. And that's actually a pretty well-delivered line. Um, Mm -hmm. But then Picard says, what sort of thing? It's like, are you totally (laughs) clueless to everyone around you? Um, Yeah. So that's just bad writing. But what I I thought was that these are very unfunny things, partly due to bad writing and in part to not knowing these characters, like you mentioned, Mm -hmm. Dom. But actually, in a lot of these scenes where the writing is atrocious, the actors are do the actors are doing a pretty good job with bad writing and trying right. to take the edge off of it and perform which, it reasonably. That's which true. really kind of makes me wonder if those were the Roddenberry lines. Oh, certainly. Oh, yeah. Th- these definitely are the Roddenberry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, speaking of like Picard, like uh, uh, whether uh, Patrick Stewart doing a good job. When he comes into Crusher's office after he's been infected, and he does that little skip through the door, yeah, that's yeah. Nice. I mean, that was that was that was that was funny. <laughs> that's I had to perfect. say that's that's an amusing little thing. Uh, by the way, I, I looked up uh, Reading Rainbow started in 1983. So he was so, doing Reading Rainbow. So he was doing Reading Rainbow for about four years right. by the time this started. Father, you just looked it up. It's in a book. <laughs> it took me quick. It was quicker for me than data. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't take you four hours? Come on. <laughs> All right. All right. So I think let's we'll we'll put a, a bow on this and we'll move on from the naked now and we shall never have to talk about it again until we do it, nev- na- it never happened. It never happened, Jimmy. <laughs> after, after, after watching this episode, I wanted to uh ingest alcohol the traditional way and not because a star was collapsing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so Jimmy, twice now you've stolen my ideas for that my post my post closing statement. I was oh. going to say that if you prick me, I do not do I not leak. But then I said, oh, it never happened. That would be actually better. But so, <laughs> I have a third line. I have a third line. So oh, good. Never fear. Never fear. We better just we better just finish it up so Dom can use his line. <laughs> yes, because you know what is it? It's not an episode if I don't get to say it. But before we close, I do want to thank uh, someone. Victor Lambs, uh, who is a listener, has volunteered to become an audio editor for StarQuest, and he's editing uh, some of our programs in his uh, spare time, lending us his expertise, taking the burden off of me so I can spend more time doing the other things that need to be 
done preparing shows and bringing you new shows that we have in the pipeline. We actually have some new shows coming, which uh, I'll be very excited to reveal to you very soon. But uh, so, Victor, thank you so much for taking on this task. We really do appreciate it. Yeah. And and, uh, I also want to thank uh, our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including uh, this week, Scott H., Lawrence S., Dan F., Cameron C., and Paul J. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. And really is make it possible, folks. I mean, without the donations of our patrons, this would not, none of these shows would happen. And you can join them and help make these shows continue to happen by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What did you think of The Naked Now? Are we wrong? <laughs> is this the, is this perhaps the worst episode of The Next Generation? Or do you love it? I mean, there's someone out there for everybody, and there's someone out there for every episode. Maybe we're wrong, and you like, like this. Tell us how we're wrong. Let us know by going to sqpn.com slash trek or the SQPN Facebook page and leave us some feedback. Or you can send us an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the Deep Space Nine episode, Past Prologue, which is the introduction of Garrick as the character. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom, and live long and prosper. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, so you mean I'm drunk? I feel strange, but also good. We shall never speak of this again.